a lady brought a hawk into the room uh, that had just been hit by a car, and the owner of the, the shop and his partner couldn't identify the bird. And I walked by the table and said, oh, that's a female broadwing hawk, immature. And he goes, well, how'd you know that? And I said, well, I've just always been into birds of prey. And the next thing I knew, he was asking me if I wanted to learn taxidermy. And I was a 19-year-old kid. I didn't really know what to do with my life. And, uh, and that's kind of how I got into it. I got an apprenticeship and then eventually worked my way up into running the studio. And, uh, you know, it's all history from there. Well, yeah, he, uh, you know, he was like all baby birds. They're super easygoing, real playful, loved the dog, still likes the dog. He likes the dog more than he likes me right now. And, uh, you know, in that, in that phase, it's, it's very much like having any other small baby animal. You want to keep them fed, entertained, warm. Um, there's really not a lot that can go wrong. You just bring them everywhere you can. I took mine to the pet store, hardware store, feed, feed store. Anywhere where there's lots of people, I can bring them without getting in trouble and uh, socialize them. And then as they start to hard pen, you start seeing them. Little things that never would have bothered them before start bothering them. You have to just keep exposing them to it, uh, no matter how much they, they complain about it. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Falconry Fund podcast. Thanks again for joining us this week. For more information about the Falconry Fund, please visit www.falconryfund.org where you'll find more general information about the fund, fund activities, podcast information including disclaimers, contact info, as well as information on how to donate. And no, your ears were not deceiving you. You did hear two voices there during the intro. I decided to shake things up a little bit this week and go ahead and do a podcast with uh, two separate guests this week, both of which I caught up with at the Kentucky Falconer Association picnic this past weekend and decided to talk a little bit with uh, Dave Tuttle about his taxidermy activities and also with my friend Jared Smith uh, about uh, flying kestrels, raising goshawks, and other odds and ends. So I will go ahead and turn it over to Dave Tuttle and Jared Smith. Smith. Enjoy. All right, and three, two, one. Hey everyone, it's John Munyer again, just uh, hanging out here at the uh, Kentucky Falconers picnic and went ahead and decided to meet up with uh, my buddy Dave Tuttle, who uh, was kind enough to do the taxidermy for uh, my coyote head that I was able to catch uh, with my male Harris hawk that I flew earlier this season. So, how's it going, Dave? Very good, very good. A little hot today, but... Uh, yeah, it's always smoldering, freaking Midwest weather. Yeah, you know? it is. But, uh, so uh, so what's what's going on? What's the latest with the, uh, with the taxidermy stuff? Well, we've been doing some interesting projects. Um, I have my own business doing just birds, and then I work for another guy, and we, and I, we do a lot of safari and big game stuff, and uh, I just mounted a uh, full-size African Neala, which is one of my favorite antelope. And uh, yeah, I was getting ready to ask, what is a African Neala? <laughs> it's it's uh, it's an a, a antelope in the kudu family, the spiral horn family of, okay. of antelope, and they're really beautiful. All right, I will take your word for it. <laughs> what's uh, what's the most fun thing you've worked on so far with the taxidermy stuff? Um. I, I like to do uh, raptors. I just got a raven in to do for a nature center. I love doing unusual stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do a lot of ducks and pheasants and, you know, typical game birds, but I like to do uh, nature center stuff too, the more protected stuff when I get a chance to. It just uh, it deviates from the norm a little bit, and uh, I like that. Very cool, very cool. So, real. I mean, obviously this is a... Uh, you know, this is a falconry-based podcast and everything. We'll get into that here in just a bit. But um, start talking about the taxidermy. How, how, how in the world did you get into taxidermy? And for everyone listening, 
Uh, Dave is, is a very good taxidermist. If you ever need anything done, um, he's, he does a great job. So, anyway, Well, ahead. my mother always wanted me to be a tax attorney, but I got, confu- <laughs> I got confused on a career day at school. But Went um, to the wrong room. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, uh, I, um, in 1978, oh, uh, I was at a friend's taxidermy studio, and uh, a lady brought a hawk into the room. Uh, that had just been hit by a car and the owner of the the shop and his partner couldn't identify the bird and I walked by the table and said oh that's a female broadwing hawk immature and he goes well how'd you know that and I said well I just always been into birds of prey and the next thing I knew he was asking me if I wanted to learn taxidermy and I was a 19 year old kid I didn't really know what to do with my life and uh and that's kind of how I got into it. I got an apprenticeship and then eventually worked my way up into running the studio. And, uh, you know, it's all history from there. So what, what does a typical uh, taxidermy apprenticeship in, involve? Well, today it's a little different than when I started because you have the Internet I'm and sure. YouTube and things. So there's a lot of things you can learn online. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing like hands-on experience working with another experienced taxidermist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just so many little intricacies and tricks you have to learn and problem solving. Uh, taxonomy can be very problematic. Sometimes you'll get bad specimens in or things that aren't taken care of properly in the field and you have to know how to fix them. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, just a lot of stuff like that. Gotcha. Okay. Well, uh, what's, what's the, uh, the, most, the most challenging uh, thing that, that you've had to work on before then? Boy, a lot of things are challenging. Um, well, let's uh, let's talk about like well, as far as restoration, as far as just repairing damage that was done in the field, what what's what's been the most challenging thing you've had to do? Well, with uh, I have a friend who uh, works for the Museum of Natural History up in New York City, and I'm originally from nor- northwestern New Jersey, so okay. uh, we used to go up there, but. Um, and he does all the restoration for the museum now. So I got to do some projects with him. And uh, one time, a fun project was we did actually a Charles Darwin exhibit, which was a traveling exhibit for the museum. And uh, that was pretty neat. We mounted all animals from the Galapagos. We did a full-size raya, which is a South American ostrich and all this kind of stuff. So it was pretty fun, you know. That's crazy. So, um, like... uh so as far as raptors go, like what what have you done raptor-wise? Um, well, you need special permits to do raptors as a taxidermist. You can only do them for education, okay. like nature centers or museums, etc. And um, I used to do a lot of birds for the Pennsylvania Game Commission. I've done golden eagles, peregrine falcons, uh, goshawks, uh, you name it. Just you know, owls, great horned owls. Um, and then I do work for some nature centers too, which I, I really enjoy that stuff. But my bread and butter is just dealing with the everyday, you know, hunter who brings me ducks and pheasants and deer heads and things like that. But when I get a chance to do the other stuff, I really enjoy it. Okay. If I remember right, um, you know, whenever I, I visited you at your house the other day, um, I remember walking in and seeing, you know, that, that giant bear and, you know, just a couple other random things like in your in your house. What was that story again that you were that you were telling me about how you got that, that bear? Well, the bear was uh, from a zoo up in northern New Jersey called the Space Farm Zoo. It's a private zoo. It's a really large one. They also have a little museum there of artifacts and things. And uh, it had died at the zoo. And uh, the owner of the zoo 
um, had just given me a bunch of animals to do. And um, he had a box and he said, hey, Dave, can you tan this moose hide for me? And I said, okay, no problem, you know, you know it's a freebie. And uh, when I got back to my shop, it turned out it was a Hokkaido brown bear, which is uh, a brown bear that um, lives on the northernmost island of Japan. They still exist today, and the people that live there are actually called the Hokkaido people who live there, and they, they used to hunt these bears. And uh, like the dog, the Akita dog, was actually bred to hunt these bears. Huh. And uh, anyway, so... Uh, it, the, it, he had just taken the head off it for some reason. I think the, the, the bear had rubbed itself on the cage or something or it had poor hair before it died, and he just had the head, so I did a pedestal mount of it. It's sort of a Napoleon-type thing. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it sits in my living room now, and um, it gets a Christmas hat at Christmas time and all sorts of stuff. So but anyway. <laughs> I, can, I can only imagine. I... Uh, I, I figured it would end up getting, uh, you know, kind of decorative as, as, as amongst Yeah, you. I try to have fun with it. Taxidermy is a profession, too, where you can really play a lot of jokes on people. I'm sure. I'm sure. It's, uh, yeah, I'm, ex- uh, I'm half expecting to go out to your uh, car here to meant to get the coyote and have him, you know, have like, uh, you know, just different, uh, you know, sunglasses on, you know, a hat, maybe yeah. a cigarette in its mouth, something, you know, whatever. But anyway, yeah, no, I, I, I can only imagine some of the stuff that, that you know some of these um, you know more well-to-do guys and stuff that go to like do the African hunts and things like that. I can only imagine the amount of, of money and expense that that goes into to getting those. Well, you know, it's those, it's, those it's funny here. because uh, to go on an African safari and shoot your five typical planes game, you know, kudu this and that and everything, actually is cheaper to go to Africa and do that than go to one of these high-end elk hunts out west. The, huh. mo- the most exper- uh, expensive thing on the hunt is your plane ticket, usually, you know, and then you got to get your passports and your shots and things like that. But, uh-huh. but a lot of guys go to Africa. I mean, you, I mean, if you did pull a permit to shoot a leopard or something, those are some ex- extremely expensive mounts. Uh, you know, that's for the rich and famous there. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. But uh, or for a guy who wants to be divorced or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but, uh, but anyway. Um, no, it, it, the African stuff is interesting. I've never been there. The, to South Africa, I've been, actually been to North Africa, but I've never been to uh, South Africa. I'd like to go maybe someday. It, the, it's just so different and exotic. I, 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 I'm sure. I, uh, I, the other thing I'd like to do is, um, you know, like eventually if I could ever get up the, uh, um, the fortitude, so to speak, to, to do it would be, a, you know, one of those... Um, uh, like shark dives or something too. Like yeah, it's, it's sharks you know, kind of really scare yeah. me. Because <laughs> one time a guy brought me a set of shark jaws to uh, boil and put on a plaque, and I cut myself on the teeth, and they have many rows of teeth. And uh, I don't know. After that, I just like want to stay out of the water around <laughs> those things. So when I see people go in those cages, uh, I think they're out of their minds. Mm-hmm. But do you I, ever yeah. you ever do fish? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I used to do a lot of fish, not so much anymore. Um, they make uh, graphite and fiberglass reproductions now of fish that are so good that, mm-hmm. you know, and all you have to do is paint them. Um, and they last a long time. A lot of times with fish, people bring them to you and, you know, they're smashed up on the boat or yeah. they drag them down the bank of the river. And there's a lot of, you Flies know, swarming around. Yeah, there's problems <laughs> with, with the skin itself and it makes it hard. To, and the, plus, they 
they're you know in the salmonid family like trout and salmon there's a lot of leakage of oil that you got to deal with so and things like that but the, these reproductions are are beautiful and they actually allow you to return the larger breeding fish to the water mm-hmm. you know you take a picture of it take the measurements and then i can get a blank for it so i, I kind of like that huh okay so you were you were into falconry before you you got into taxidermy right or were no you, or no were I, you? Uh, i i've been a falconer now probably for about 12 years okay uh, 12 13 years something like that and uh i always had an interest in it and I used to do work for a place uh, in New Jersey called the Raptor Trust, which is a very big uh, nature center. And, uh, you know, they breed snowy owls and stuff. And they did have a mu- uh, nature center there, and I do some work for them. And the guy who owned it at the time, he's passed away. His name was Len, Len Susi. He uh, would take me around in the cages, and, and, you know, he had peregrines there. And I just I just thought it was awesome. And something I always I wanted to do in the back of my mind, but... When I moved up to upstate Pennsylvania, I I just decided to do it okay. and uh, met some falconers and had a blast. Gotcha. And uh, up to this state or up up to currently, like what what have you um, what all have you flown? I mean, uh, a bunch of stuff. I've had um, you know, of course, you start out with the red tails. I've had a bunch of them, and then I've had uh, kestrels, a whole bunch of them, which are a lot of fun. And I've had uh, passage peregrine. I've had a goshawk, I've had a Harris hawk, and a Cooper's hawk. Okay. So pretty much those birds there. Uh, I'm going. I don't have a bird currently. I'm going to be getting a a young uh, Harris hawk in a couple weeks gotcha. from a friend of mine. Gotcha. So, as a whole, what do you? Um, I mean, what do you like to hunt the most? Um, and and just what exactly is has been your um, your, your your biggest forte so far what's what's been your favorite thing to fly and um well i oh and i forgot to say i had merlins too Mer, merlin is probably my favorite bird um they're not a real big bird um but their flight and their you know just their movement in the air just is captivating and uh, in, in their speed and uh i've had a prairie merlin and i've had two columbarius merlins and that that i would say just the personality of the bird I really like but then on the other hand you know it's fun catching rabbits and squirrels with a red tail too you know it's kind of prey specific to where you live and uh and things like that the peregrine was fun taking ducks and pigeons every once in a while and uh so you know it's, it's just a lot of fun I just love flying the birds you know gotcha. So what what was uh, what were you hunting with the merlins primarily? Just starlings? Uh, yeah, starlings, uh, sparrows, things like that. You know, uh, little birds. Gotcha. And, and were uh, you doing like the reading flights? Were you doing like more ditch or straight flights or? Um, just uh, you know, out in fields. I just yeah. walk out in fields once in a while, fly it out yeah. the car window and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> but gotcha. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. Well, as far as. Um, like as far as your your overall goals for the for like the future and stuff, what do you uh, what do you want to fly like later on down the road, or or what do you um, what do you kind of aspire to fly later? Well, I, I I'm partial to falcons. I just I like their personalities and their flight. The problem with living in Kentucky is, and in, in my area, is we have so many horse farms and fences. There's more fences in this state than anywhere I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and I totally understand it because these people have million dollar 
horses that they're breeding and you know they want to protect them but it makes flying a falcon sometimes difficult because the birds want to wander you know like the peregrine in greek means wanderer so uh you know so you, you know you just have to watch it with them but uh for now you know while i'm in kentucky i'll probably just stick with uh the you know the harrises and red tails maybe coopers and then uh Maybe later on, if I can get trap a Merlin, I'd like to get one, you know, or if someone wants to hand one down, I'm, I'm all open to that. Yeah, well, it's, I, I uh, Merlin's the next on my list also, and you know, along with this, with, with this prairie falcon I'm, I'm training right now, that's, I, I, I like long wings more too. I just think that, you know, their, their disposition and um, every, pretty much everything about them just fits my personality, you know, yeah. more with it. I mean, it's i think there's a lot of people that don't really um pay attention to those kind of to details i know for me it's it's really important that whatever i'm flying um you know i I can be socially compatible with you know and and Mm -hmm. just try to um i don't know it just i I don't like the whole um square peg round hole approach to to flying birds with with me it's just just falcons and long wings in general whether they be micros or the bigger birds they just they're just more me yeah i like them too and i like the fact that their poop goes straight down too and doesn't <laughs> shoot across the room that's that's a big factor well but, uh, I, I, I've, I've, I i know that some people have kind of learned uh, much to their chagrin that uh sometimes the peregrines aren't don't always comply, comply this, this, with this that, is true this is true but uh i mean i i keep my birds outside usually yeah but um Anyway, yeah, I, I like the, the Falcons myself, just the speed, mm-hmm. you know, it's just trying to find game for them, uh, you know, or in here in Kentucky can sometimes be difficult. I always thought about trying to, in my retirement, maybe in a few years if I ever retire, uh, trying to do some abatement with, with a Falcon on some of the horse farms around here, you know, where guys want to get rid of the pigeons and things like that mm-hmm. would, would be kind of fun. And I'm sure the people who have American Pharaoh down the road don't like uh, pigeons uh, <laughs> desecrating their their million dollar barns either. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, and and there's there's plenty of people that also uh, uh, breed and, and fly pigeons and stuff too. So yeah. I mean, if, if, you, right. if you find the right people, it you know, if nothing else, it's handy. And you know, even if you have to shell out X amount of dollars per pigeon to to just get them started i used to trap a lot of pigeons um what i do is i'd find a place where they're having a problem with pigeons Mm -hmm. and i just throw some corn out out on the roof Mm -hmm. and then uh get them used to coming in and then i had two or three have a heart traps and the the ones that are open on both ends like the true have a heart trappers are the ones that work because the bird can see through them okay and then i'd start you know just putting corn in the traps and sometimes i'd catch two pigeons at once a mm-hmm. lot of times i caught multiple pigeons in one trap they'd both come in from the other side and trap each other but it worked pretty well gotcha and uh, you know they're just feral pigeons that people wanted to get rid of and gotcha. it sure beats poisoning or something that can hurt other wildlife it's really unfortunate don't you think that that so many people are resorting to what what's that what's the chemical that mainly used were, were in some was it I don't um, know, you're probably talking about havoc or stuff yeah, like that stuff yeah stuff like yeah. that i as far I, I just i hate that more people aren't um uh socially aware that raptors are are some of the the biggest um 
rodent controllers. Oh, know, yeah. Far, I mean, it's just between just... owls and hawks, and, I mean, they kill thousands and thousands and thousands. Well, there's a lot of ignorance that goes on with, with that, you know. People, mm-hmm. just like with snakes, people are just terrified of snakes, you know, mm-hmm. but most of them are, 99% of them are beneficial. You know, they're right. all beneficial in one way or another, just some are venomous. But, um, you know, the problem with Havoc or some of those uh, poisons, from what I understand, is that the the mouse or the rat will ingest it, but in order for it to kick in, the animal has to go outside and drink some water. Okay. So to activate the poison, this is for what I understand. I'm not yeah. hundred. I've, I've been pretty, told. I'm pretty ignorant to how that and stuff works. So what happens is, so they don't die in your wall of your house. Basically, you know, they want to go outside to drink. That's okay. kind of the design of it. And um, then you know, then they go outside, and, and the raptor kills kills them and ingests it, and yeah. you know, kills the raptor. Well, it's and, unnecessary. Yeah, and well, I know there's there's just um, I, I like I said, it, it's a blood thinner. I, I just can't remember which particular one that they use in a lot of those, mm-hmm. but it, it causes a very painful, slow deaths and, yeah. and, and a lot of raptors and stuff too. Well, it's I just had a mouse invasion in my house. I live out in the country and I just used the good old mouse traps and I caught about 10 of them in one week. You know, I feed them to my hawks. Yeah. <laughs> good old snapperoo mouse trap. I might get your finger once in a while when you're setting it, but uh, yeah. a little peanut butter on that thing works just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Long-term goal-wise, um, you know, with, with the taxidermy and stuff, kind of going back to that a little bit, what what are your long term goals with it? Uh, I know you just and you just built like a new a new barn and stuff, right? Are yeah, you, are you I just looking? got a little shop for doing mm-hmm. birds. I mean, I I I have some arthritis issues in my hands, so sometimes doing the big game really kills my hands. But doing birds and things, which I really enjoy more anyway, mm-hmm. is kind of the, my future. Mm-hmm. Is doing more avian things, and uh, you know, we'll just kind of see how it goes man you yeah know, day yeah. to day you know well have yeah. you ever thought about taking on i mean do you, do you have enough business or do you think you'll have enough business in the future to warrant maybe taking on your your own apprentice for for taxidermy and stuff and expanding or oh yeah i, I have uh, someone i'm thinking about having a as a helper right now okay. yeah i mean you know it just has i haven't been in kentucky that long so it takes a while to get established but right. that that's happening so um you know it, you got to get the right person too you know to to learn it's kind of like falconry taxidermy you have to have a passion for it because it's not an easy living it's got a lot of frustrations and uh you know you have to really want to do it you you have to have a passion for it there's a lot of guys that do it part-time i i don't know where they get the energy i couldn't go work at a regular job all day and then come home and do that and really put my heart into it I'd, i'd be too tired yeah you know i always look a lot of guys do it as it's almost like a hobby almost and to me it's always been a profession you know and i and i strive to want to do really good work and be a professional you know just uh-huh. not some backwoods guy you know slapping stuff together you know what i mean and to me it's disrespectful to the animal first of all to right. not do a good job mm-hmm. and uh you know you know and you want to have good clientele also who, who appreciate good work it's like anything else you know it's you know, you get what you pay for. Right. Well, I mean, like I said, I, how do you, I mean, <laughs> the whole the whole process of taxidermy, it didn't really used to interest me at all. Mm-hmm. And then naturally, this has been my first real experience where I've actually felt the need to really 
have one, have have something done of, of my own, um, just because the the circumstances were just so you know exceptional. I mean, I I don't yeah. I didn't I didn't ever expect anything like this to happen. Yeah, so, that was pretty cool. Yeah, so I mean, it's it, it's 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 something that I'm I've done a little bit of research into, but it, I just everything from the process initially going all the way to quality control and everything just it's it's just fascinating to me yeah well like the word taxidermy if you go back to the original greek means mover or arranger of skins you know Mm -hmm. taxing the dermy Mm -hmm. and uh that's the origins of it i mean you know the egyptians actually did some forms of it you know and uh and uh, you can ask King Tut about that. He probably was stuffed. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, um, I've been interested in it ever since I was a little kid when I went to the Museum of Natural History on field trips in New York City. I just, I just would have my face plastered against the glass exhibit case, and, you know, I thought it was the coolest thing I ever saw. So, yeah, it's weird. Well, it's, it's like I say, it, it's one of those things, I think, that... Um, it's always just interesting hearing how um, people get inspired by different things, and uh, like I said it's it's no no different for me. So, but well, uh, I just want to say, like for instance, in the Museum of Natural History, in the Chicago Field Museum, and some of these big places, um, there was a guy named Carl Ackley, and uh, he was originally from upstate New York, and he they call him the father of modern taxidermy, and he was a real innovator and inventor. In fact. He developed the stop-action camera, which photographed or took the movies of the Hindenburg disaster. Okay. Was, that was invented by Carl Ackley, and he invented this uh, camera to catch a game in motion. You know, the different stages, like, you know, a leopard running or a lion running or something like that. Uh-huh. And some of these guys, I've, I've had back behind-the-scenes tours of the Museum of Natural History, and you can't believe what incredible artists and sculptors these guys were. I, I can and, totally uh, believe it, actually. You know, they, were, they were amazing with, with, with the materials they had to work with at the time. I mean, the, the African elephant done by Lewis Paul Jonas in the African Hall of the Museum of Natural History is just phenomenal. The guys today can't even do them that good. And uh, today, taxidermy has taken a, like a, it's kind of a, it's become very commercialized, and us older guys who are used to making our own stuff and everything, we call it snap-together taxidermy, where you really, you know, basically everything is done for you. It's like a paint-by-numbers, basically. Okay. And I think in that, you lose some of the personality uh, of what you're doing. So do you think it's kind of uh, equivalates to a certain degree of like the, a lot of the old timer falconers having to make their own equipment? And, yeah, you know, exactly. Like, so you think it's it's kind of synonymous with that? Um, well, yeah, I think that everyone should learn how to make their own stuff, and you know, for the mm-hmm. most part, you know, at least, you know. I made one hood, but I mean, uh, yeah, that's, it's kind of, you know, that's, a, that's a whole nother uh, its thing. Its itself. I mean, most of your other stuff, everyone should know how to make. And it, it, it makes you, it makes you more bonded to what your, your, your hobby is, you know, or your, sure. whatever you want to call it, falconry, yeah. your passion or whatever, you know, and, I, and it's the same with everything else. When you take an animal and you skin it out and you study the carcass and how the muscles work and everything, it, you know, rather than someone just giving you a form for it, you, you, you know, by getting the form, you 
just a pre-made form, you're losing that whole learning experience of how anatomy works and things like that. And it shows up in the overall work, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I mean, I'm sure you see it as a guitar player, you know, or uh, yeah. These yeah. guys have these quick, jiffy, quick steps to learning the guitar and everything, but there's there's something lacking in that. You right, know? right. Yeah, I mean that's 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 a whole other. <laughs> yeah, boy, that's a whole other conversation in its in well, and of but itself. But every, everything in life is kind of like that, you know. Sure. And uh, devils in the details. With yeah, a lot it of is. It is. Yeah. You know, if if you want to be good. No, that's cool, man. Well. I do appreciate you uh, bringing the, the coyote head by and stuff. I can't wait to go out here and look at it in a second. And yeah, my pleasure. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll post a picture of it and also and stuff, too. So real quick, why don't you plug your uh, your taxidermy uh, business real quick? How can people find you if they want um, something done? Okay, I'm located in Willisburg, Kentucky, and uh, I'm not. Too, I'm only 20 minutes or so from here from Taylorsville Lake. I'm right, right in the smack dab in the middle of the state. Willisburg is like uh, geographically right in the middle of the state. And uh, my telephone number is 859-533-6575. If anybody ever wants to get some birds done or something, or if there's any people from nature centers or anything listening, uh, I would love to do your stuff. It's kind of my specialty. Cool. What about a website or Facebook or whatnot? I do have a Facebook. It's uh, Dave Tuttle. Uh, River Run Taxidermy. Awesome. I want to do another full episode and and everything with you at some point here and kind of go over uh, everything else in a little bit more detail. But for now, um, go have fun at your gig tonight. And oh, yeah. thanks again for the coyote. And oh, you're you know, welcome. It's it's been it's been awesome. So. Yeah, this is really cool. Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. All right, see you later. Yep. Talk soon. Hey everyone, hope you've been enjoying listening to another episode of the Falconry Fund podcast. Just as a reminder, the Falconry Fund is an organization that's dedicated to preserving and protecting the art of falconry in North America and abroad, and any contribution that you make to the Falconry Fund will further preserve and continue the tradition and legacy of the sport for those individuals, both past, present, and future, that have dedicated themselves to its lifestyle and practice, as well as bringing you future content. The other cool thing about the Falconry Fund is it's a nonprofit corporation under the IRS, so any contribution that you make is also deductible towards your taxes. So if you have any other questions regarding the deductibility of your contribution or the tax exempt purpose of the Falconry Fund, please contact its president, Alan K. Ayer, CPA, at 410-310-2733. Thank you. So the first half of the episode here, we talked about taxidermy with Dave Tuttle, along with some other topics, but now we're going to switch gears, and we are going to talk with my friend Jared Smith about uh, raising his latest imprint, Goshawk, Kestrels, and some other things. So on to the second half of the show. Here we go. Well, now I got Jared Smith with me here. He was also at the uh, Kentucky picnic with me, and... and uh, yeah, did you bring uh did you bring a bird with you this time? Yeah, yeah, I uh, brought my uh new North American uh imprint Goss with me. He's uh, right about 3 months old and he's he's uh he's handling it pretty well. It's cool. pretty warm, but Yeah, yeah. He seems to um so so that one that was in the corner was yours, right? The, yes. The one that was, okay. Yep. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I saw a couple red tails. I know um I brought my my prairie and then um Mark brought his sharpie and Hannah brought her peregrine and it was, it was it's hard for me to keep track of which ones are or which other we actually had a lot of people bring birds this I, time it looked i like. was surprised with this you know yeah. the molt not being over yet how many people yeah. were willing to get them out um yeah. of course some new birds that aren't molting but 
the Red Tails seem to be taking it pretty well. Why does this Kentucky crew, not that there's anything wrong with this necessarily, but <laughs> why does this Kentucky crew, I, I've never seen so many dogs at a, at a, at a, at a smaller meet in my entire life. <laughs> uh, man, we, here in Kentucky, we love our dogs. Um, and you'll, you'll notice there's definitely a theme. There's not many, uh, or if any pet dogs here, they're all hunting dogs. We've got real thick briars, especially out in the eastern part of the state where most of these guys are from. Right. And uh, yeah, you don't want to go in there without a dog. It's, it's pretty rough. Yeah. Well, it was just, <laughs> that was like the first thing I, I noticed when it pulled up. And and uh, I was just like, well, I guess maybe I'll set my bird here. And like, oh, no, no, dog's already gone to the bathroom right there in that spot, you know? Yeah. So. Yep. I, I had that too. Uh, and my bird will play with it if he gets near it. So yeah. I had to be real careful about that. He's got that. Uh, that baby playfulness and he sees a new yeah. object and he's got to, he's got to squeeze it. And we want to avoid that. So baby playfulness. So basically we've already talked in a couple different episodes as you, as you know, because you listen to the, the podcast yep. pretty regularly also. Um, but we, we've had a couple people talk about the imprint process and, and things like that. But what, how's yours been? How's yours been with your, yours is a male, correct? It is. It is a um, male full North American that was pulled from where? Minnesota, Minnesota. Okay. And, yeah, it's it's he's doing real well. Um, granted, we're still just ending the easy part. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when they're little cute downy chicks and they act like puppies and they will crawl on your lap and play with you all day, it's it's real easy and it's super easy to get lulled into this uh, sense of complacency that there's nothing wrong with it, there's no aggression, it's it's going to be a good bird. And then uh, you know he's just hard pinned, so there's that little bit of that teenage angst coming out in him yeah. where he's uh, more easily offended, and you got to start being careful. So it's kind of like my 11 year old. Is yes <laughs> yes very much uh yeah he's he's trying to figure out where his place is and you know we've started weight reduction and you know he's not too happy about that he's used to having you know a whole quail sitting there for him to eat at any time and now there's not any mm-hmm. and uh yeah, he's not too happy about it yeah yeah uh, it's it really is funny in in a way how um <laughs> in a weird kind of way you can almost make the uh the the human child to hawk child analogy in a strange way i mean obviously you you, you don't have kids or no, anything no, yet no, so no. but it you know i think back and you know i can barely remember my son's early childhood years at this point it it all becomes kind of like a blur and i do remember i but i do remember times where he you know obviously there's there's very little the extra things that you have to really do as far i mean just as long as you play with them and feed them and you know, make sure they stay alive. Yeah, yep. it's that's about all your expectation is at a certain point. Oh yeah, yeah. With, with 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 uh with the small child, and then, um, you know, my son has already started the uh, the adolescent phase uh, pretty early, as as we've talked about before, and um, now he's um, really reclusive, doesn't want to have much to do with you, and if you take away his Fortnite, then he wants to tear your face off like a goshawk. So. That's, that's that's a pretty good analogy. Right? Yeah, yeah. His his quail was his Fortnite. It was his video games, and yeah. uh, he doesn't get unrestricted access to it anymore. And uh, sometimes he uh, he refuses to do what you want him to do. Every so often, just to mess with my kid, I'll put um I'll put the parental controls back on the switch, and um, just to mess with him. Just say, I don't even really have any settings really full on. You know, yeah, I don't I don't really have his playtime restricted or anything right now even. But every so often, I'll put that that little orange bar. You know, I'll, I'll 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 put it put it on with the app and everything, and he'll see it, and then there's something instinctive that he just wants to try and break the rules and bypass that. So I'll get notifications on my phone saying, 
yeah, your uh, the, your your pin was entered incorrectly, and that'll pop up like twelve flipping times. <laughs> and I'm just like, dude, just what what are you doing? I'm not even restricting anything right now. So, and then you know, naturally, I have to listen to that whole anger, you know. And so, basically, it's just <laughs> it's the equivalent of like taking a goshawk's weight too low, and and then um, showing them food, and taking it away instantly, and then oh, next yeah. thing you know, you got some some uh, talons, you know, in in your face, and or just the <laughs> screaming, <laughs> so much screaming sometimes. That and- too, and sometimes crying not yeah. not even so much from the child or the hawk but you yep. just because you what know, have you, i done you know, what have i done why why am <laughs> why why have i done this to myself again two summers in a row i swore i wasn't gonna raise another baby two years in a row i just got my living room clean and the fluff gone and now now it's everywhere again oh yeah yeah so anyway not to <laughs> not, not to digress with with strange analogies and um and just you know goofiness but so so continue on you um you you're you're past the the kind of hard part take us take us a little bit through uh through the easy part like the rest of it um you know the downy uh small chick wants to play with you and then well with like where i am now and yeah what, yeah, yeah. Well, where, where, where you were at so i mean i i remember seeing pictures on your feed and it's like sitting uh the the, the bird and little little puffball sitting on the couch with you, hanging out with you and the dog, and and just not really caring about much anything except walking around and shooting uh, shooting slices everywhere and, and just eating food and stuff. <laughs> so so take us from 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 there and and continue on. Well, yeah, he uh, you know he was like all baby birds, are super easy going, real playful, loved the dog, still likes the dog. He likes the dog more than he likes me right now, and. Uh, <laughs> You know, in that, in that phase, it's it's very much like having any other small baby animal. You want to keep them fed, entertained, warm. Um, there's really not a lot that can go wrong. You just bring them everywhere you can. I took mine to the pet store, hardware store, feed feed store. Anywhere where there's lots of people, I can bring them without getting in trouble and uh, socialize them. And then as they start to hard pen, you start seeing them. Little things that never would have bothered them before start bothering them. You have to just keep exposing them to it. Uh, no matter how much they they complain about it, and boy can they complain! I know. Uh, earlier today, I went to go put mine back on the perch after we did a group picture, and uh, he wanted to go to his perch before I was ready for him to. I hadn't clipped him in yet, so I held him back, and uh, he gave me an earful for it. <laughs> and that's just kind of the phase we're in. He's hard pinned, you know, his his blood pressure's up, and uh, he's he's much more hyperactive. And quick to anger <laughs> yes yes very quick and so i gotta you know kind of tiptoe to keep from upsetting him more than i need to um but he's coming along you know his his little response is getting back to where it was before he hard pinned and uh hopefully we'll be chasing rabbits here before too long How, how's how's the molt been going and stuff with uh with your with your cross that you were that you were hunting last season have been going yeah going well? he's going, going real well he's he's been free lofted um pretty well since about two weeks after we stopped hunting um, not having any problems with that. Uh, he's still real friendly. Comes up to the uh, to the window, talk to you, and flips head upside down, and act all cute. Uh, now, when you go in there, it's a whole other story. He starts freaking out and acting like a wild bird. He doesn't want you invading his space. But the uh, molt's going good. Feathers are going in great. Uh, he's probably about a month and a half, two months away from being done. Uh, mm-hmm. Fingers crossed, I get a full full molt and doesn't have little brown spots left in him. But yeah, we'll see how that goes. Now I know. Um, I I remember being told before and reading obviously too that um you know goshawks in particular if you if you feed them and you know just basically present food to them all the time basically in the in in their mew or wherever they stay all the time they can become pretty aggressive and, and territorial um 
in that regard. I mean, he doesn't try and get a, a, a really aggressive, though, does he? No. The uh, the only time he's gotten aggressive in the weathering yard was when we had a uh, pretty good tornado coming through. And mm-hmm. uh, so I went out there, went ahead and decided to collect him, put him in his box, and put him in the basement just to be safe. Right. And uh, he was fine, you know, just real skittish, act like a wild bird. And he didn't show any aggression until I got hold of one Jess. Mm-hmm. And then he uh, he footed me pretty good in the arm. Uh, but once I got, got hold of the other Jess, got him up on the fist and got him inside, he calmed right back down and was his normal self. But they can get a little territorial. Um, my younger bird right now, I cannot feed in the living room at all right now. Uh, if I give him any food in his tethered spot, mm-hmm. he'll real quickly start getting territorial of that area, even with me. And then when you take him away, it's gone. So all of his feeding's got to be outside on the lure. Gotcha. And do you feed in different spots each time? I'm trying to, yeah. 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 Uh, as time allows, you know, I'll take him to different fields, random random places um and he just needs the experience in riding his giant hood as well which today has been great for that with a three and a half hour drive you still got the kestrel also right yes yeah i've got yeah. the two goss socks and the kestrel the two goss socks and the kestrel and the kestrel's doing well with what did you decide to do um did you decide to go with that like kind of at pvc type uh design or whatever with the with the um the mew that you uh, were making for her did for you... hers it's um i'm still i still got it in a large wood one Um, it's all pressure treated. And then on the inside, I have core plastic sheets that I can just pull out and hose off. off, Yeah. Um, and she's doing well. She's molting now. Um, she's upset that their starlings are gone that she worked so hard for, but the, the goshawk ate all those. (laughs) Uh, He ate those in a hurry. I bet. I bet. And yeah. So for everyone listening to, um, Jared was, is, is the other local guy along with me that, that kind of semi consistently flies kestrels also. And, um, you know, he, he got actually, he hit the 300 mark with, with his between, what was it? Two or three months. Yeah. It was about, right about two and a half months, yeah, two and a half months. And I said, we were, we were kind of, um, we weren't, we, we didn't really have like that, that friendly competitiveness going on, but, but we were constantly like, you oh, know, yeah. we they're, 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 can't they're, let the other one, yeah, us. no, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to sit here and, 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 and try and be politically correct and say that we weren't competing, but there was always that time where, you know, it'd be like, Hey man, uh, so I got 10 with, with mine today and, and stuff. And then ironically enough, you know, in the afternoon, come back and I get a text and be like, yeah, I got 11. Yep. yep. And uh, I just be like, hmm, okay. Yeah. And then, and then, then the then next, next day, day you'd oh, say he got 12. Oh, by the way, I got 15 yep. this time. And then <laughs> I don't know. I, I wonder how many days the both of us spent out there spending a good hour trying to get that last starling in. Last five. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, just to be one up ahead of the other one. Yeah. Well, it was uh, a lot. It was a lot of fun, though. It, man. Was, it was. It was really nice having someone else flying a bird that close. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and it's, it's been cool also, like, having someone else that, um, that has pretty similar, um, a pretty similar uh, approach to yes. uh, to flying them as, as well cuz i mean neither one of us flyers with with telemetry Mm-mm. um you know which yeah, obviously uh, you you heard like my discussion with with Matt yeah. and and stuff about that i mean if if you if you've got a bird that that'll tolerate wearing it and stuff go for it i mean but i, I unfortunately just have, have have had two birds that that absolutely hated it absolutely hated it and and um you know there there's also the theory of I mean, well, you, you, there's your theory also, which you go, go ahead and, and, and take the rest uh, of the Mine, thought. mine is, 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 it's pretty controversial, but it's, um, I, this is this bird's second and a half season. Cause I flew her for a half season mm-hmm. 
full season and then this season again. Well, go ahead and go ahead um, and, and real quick, not to interject, but go ahead and just give them a quick background on on your bird and how you and how you got so it. So my bird uh, came from a rehabber up in Indianapolis. She'd uh, been caught by a cat when she was a brancher and had her entire tail just utterly mangled and chewed off. There was just stumps that were all frayed and split, and I put I had to put glue on them, keep them from splitting all the way up into the uh, uh, what what's it called. Um, the uh, the tube yeah the, the all the way up so yeah. that try to try to prevent ingrown feathers from right, replacing yeah, them uh, so they weren't impable at all um, maybe three or four of them could have been but they would have quickly been broken with no support and initially I wasn't gonna fly her the first uh, first fall I had her because she couldn't really stop like when I get her to hop to the fist more than two flaps she would overshoot and crash every time <laughs> and I was just like well we're not gonna do this I don't want to have to get out you know because car hawk. I wanted to get out of my car, go find a nice soft spot to call her back to her lure where she can crash safely. Um, until one day I saw her make a hairpin turn in my living room and catch a moth. And I decided she was going to work for her living now. <laughs> and so I got her up and going and uh, flew her for about a month. And we did 33. And uh, then the Cooper so passage Cooper socks are really common in our area. They start coming in and start being a problem. Oh, yeah. So I put her away uh, with the intent of putting her under lights and getting her to grow a tail so she'd be ready for spring. Um, that didn't work out. Had, had her under lights. She refused to molt. She molted all of her body feathers, and those all looked nice and clean, but her primaries were still tipped from being caught by the cat, and her tail was still ruined. Uh, flew her for another season anyways, and I tried telemetry on her that first season, but it was too much extra weight and just threw her off balance without a tail too much, so I opted not to. And then yeah, I can see that being an issue with no tail feathers. But... And But, you know, she did great, and then without having a tail, she wasn't going very far. Mm -hmm. she would miss something and she might get up on top of a six foot fence but she wasn't going to climb up and go very far and generally she'd hit the ground turn around come right back to the car right um and more often not though she ended up catching she did really well uh we did i want to say it was 140 something starlings in about two months mm -hmm. um and then i got a cooper socks i wanted to imprint and i went ahead and ended her season a little earlier than i planned on and uh she molted out great all of her tail feathers came in and then i decided that you know, I never really needed the telemetry, and I figured the most likely cause of me needing it would be her caught by another bird. And I re I overly attached to this bird. I'll, I'll fully admit it. <laughs> really liked this bird. She's a real charming little bird. Um, I enjoy having her around quite a bit, and I did not want to have to sit there and watch her get plucked uh, if I was unable to rescue her to right. wait to get my transmitter back. Right. Um, and thankfully, I never needed it. She's an imprint, so she's generally pretty good about seeking me out. Mm -hmm. Or in one other case, seeking out some poor guys taking the trash out uh, behind a department store and she landed on one of their heads and scared them half to death. But <laughs> uh, she's usually pretty good about seeking somebody out if she got lost. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yours yours ended up showing a lot of imprint kind of tendencies. Yes, very even much Even so. though she was she was a brancher. And see, both of mine, as you know, that, that I've flown have been – I've flown a hag and I've flown, um, you know, a passage bird at this point. Yep. And so – the the I've I've lost both of mine because I haven't flown with telemetry. Yeah. But that being said, once again, the first time, like the the first bird that I flew the the hag, which I ended up getting fifty birds with in like a month before yeah. I I lost yeah, her. She's really good. Yeah. I mean, she was she was a she was a great bird. Um. But in the same in the same day, I watched her get snagged by a coop, mm -hmm. and pretty much the same scenario that you just you know you just described and stuff. And I was able to actually get the coop to drop her and got her back. And I should have just quit right then, but I wanted to end on a good note, and I didn't want to leave like a, a bad, lasting impression on mm -hmm. her, impression on her. So she she got a hold of two more starlings after that, and she was still spooked, 
you know, uh, she she started she kind of like flew off on the approach of me, you know, trying yeah. to go and, and and get her. And um, so I was like, all right, heck with it, one more time, one more try, you know, that just that just one more, <laughs> just you know? one more. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the, the, the <laughs> motto for the falconers uh, in this area. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, tried one more and she missed and right as I was pulling around to recall her um, another wild kestrel came out of nowhere chased her off never found her again spent three days looking for her and you know it just my my, my point of view is and, and this is like I said the, the other reason I, I put such um, really small light equipment on on my kestrels and I've actually watched her and you've actually mm-hmm. watched you know my my last kestrel take her anklets off I mean she's yeah. she's <laughs> yep. done it yep. I mean they're capable of doing it if they want to, especially and, while you're at work. Yeah. 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 When I mean, it's the most inconvenient time. <laughs> um, anyway, so I, I knew that, that, that my last bird would be able to, to get equipment off. If, you know, oh, I, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't even put anklet or uh, grommets in, in the anklets, mm-hmm. you know, I just made them real small and, and eventually she'd be able to chew through them and, and get them off. Um, my thing is, is, is I, I probably would have, if I, if I was able to, to hold on to this last one, I probably would have, molted her and kept mm-hmm. her also but in retrospect you know i as she flew off i couldn't find her it doesn't completely and totally bum me out to no. return a bird like that to the wild no because she i mean was, I, she was flying pretty close to trap weight anyways and yeah she's she's fine yeah yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't like you're it's not like we have to fly these kestrels on like the razor's edge right um, well and i and and the main reason why i lost this last one I lost her in a park. She just made a little um, a little move around some trees and lost sight of her, yep. and and that's all it takes with those small birds. Oh yeah. And um, you know, I tried. I actually tried telemetry with her as well. Um, I tried neck mounting her and stuff. And uh, much like the attempts to hood her, all she would <laughs> all, all all she would do basically is she would just I would I would I would get the the transmitter around her neck. And she would just make circles, just just laps, just around the basement, and just like with with trying to hood her, she would do the same thing, make laps with the hood on, <laughs> yep. you know, blind, and it was just trying to just circles, just around my. And I was just like, all right, that's enough of this stuff. It's had just, a Harris hawk that was like that, and put a hood on him, he was like a Roomba, just <laughs> aimlessly going around, walking into walls. <laughs> and you know, some birds just don't tolerate Mm-mm. these kind of methods, and and you know, why keep trying? You know, and, no, and, yeah, and. I've thought about backpacking this bird, and I've got the backpack, but uh, she's such a small bird, and I'm I've never used one, mm-hmm. and I'm not overly confident in putting it on there. Yeah. And again, I can't think of where I've ever lost sight of her for more than three minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll eventually happen if I keep flying her. I do intend to fly her one more season, and then whether I transfer her to somewhere else or hack her back out, uh, I haven't decided yet. But it's you know probably time to move on to a, a different micro. Yeah. Uh, as much as I hate the idea of not having her anymore, uh, killing lawn dart starling so many times before you're ready to try something different. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and we and and I had this discussion with you know had the other discussion with Matt too about you mm-hmm. know the next next kestrel that that I have. <sighs> you know, it's it's going to be hard not to do starlings again because I'll yes, probably definitely. I'll probably be in the mood too by the time it rolls around yep. again. But but I'm really just I'm really going to want to try to just field hawk sparrows and stuff like that with my next and one also, my next so. kestrel i want to try that as well and but i kind of want to do it with a bird i'm not attached to mm-hmm. so that 
And whenever yeah, the coop, whenever the coop swoops, swoops, swoops out of nowhere and exactly. then snags it. Is. <laughs> Cold as that sounds. <laughs> it's uh, nature. I mean, it, it it's, is, it, it's just, I'd rather not see that happen to, to this bird. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of falconers, but like, it's just a tool. Yeah. And that's fine. That's, that's your approach to falconry. There's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. I've had pets my whole life. I get attached to my animals. I like them. That doesn't yeah. mean I don't release my birds. I've released um, a transfer weight, most of them at this point. I've on my eighth bird, and I have three of them. So that's five that have been released or uh, or transferred. I had, thankfully, I haven't had any die yet. Knock on wood. It's going to happen eventually, but I haven't had to go through that yet. Yeah. And, I had, and I've only lost one bird, and that was my hag kestrel. And I managed to trap him back and decide he was not worth the effort. Yeah. And uh, fattened him back up and released him again. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, too, is is some birds just, they're they're not falconry. They're not good no. falconry candidates. There's no, just yeah, some yeah. birds that just do not acclimate and, and just don't don't deal with it very well he was in my opinion a classic example i trapped him at 126 grams and flew him at 71.5 yeah that was very nerve-wracking taking him down to there and even then he still wasn't steady it's really easy spooked really easy to mm-hmm. offend and uh i just decided that he was great for teaching me microweight management uh, breeding season was coming up real quick they're starting to pair up so i wanted to get him back into his territory mm-hmm. brought his weight back up to i think about 130 took him to exactly where i trapped him and opened the window and he didn't look back he was gone yeah well, and the other thing I still want to do, too, um, the next time we both decide that we're going to be on the same wavelength and do Kestrel at the same time again, too, is, is do the cast. Yes, that's one thing we didn't get I, to try this year. Yeah, we, yeah. I think we were going to, and then just that. <laughs> so so I lost, we decided to have this little mini-meat, um, <laughs> mini, like micro mini-meat. Yep. And boy, that just turned out to be kind oh, of a, yeah. a, 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 just a cluster of a disaster. Yes, it was. That's the day I lost my bird also, and and. Uh, and so, <laughs> well, then, but we were, we were we were going to try and link up and do that just just to see if just, we could it, just to pull even it if off, it just just maximize the number of slips and they went for completely different starlings and ignored mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. It would have made flying so much because how many times did we go hunting by ourselves or just the two of us almost every day? Starlings on opposite sides and only slip oh, yeah. one bird. It'd been great to be able to mm-hmm. take more advantage of the slips we could get. Yep, yep. That would have been it. Would have been a lot of fun. No. Yeah, it'll happen again. I'm sure. It will, eventually, but, yeah, we'll we'll have a kestrel again. Yeah, but I don't know. I it just depending on how low uh, my starling supply gets. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, you've already gone through yours. No, it's, it's gone. Yeah, yeah it's, there's not even three, a feather left. Three hundred, three hundred starlings in two in, weeks. In two. Oh my, two weeks. That's all it That's took. All lasted between between an adult goshawk. Um, that uh. That kestrel and then the baby goshawk. I mean, that baby goshawk. There was a couple of days he put down six in a single day, and you know, and I was feeding the starlings as I was collecting three hundred. So there's probably somewhere around two hundred and twenty-five actually in the freezer. Yeah, but still, they they burned through them fast, and I didn't waste anything. Ugh. I gutted and cut the the feet off and chopped the rest up, mm-hmm. and he was eating bones, of everything. And he was <laughs> tearing through them. Wow. Well, yeah, it's uh, man. Whew. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. just remember that anybody who's wanting to imprint a goshawk, make sure your freezer is full. Yeah, very full. Yeah, don't go into it like uh, like some people do with with sharpies and stuff like that. And oh yeah, and just uh, and just have like you know a handful of starlings or a couple quail and yeah, <laughs> and, so, yeah. And, a, and a bunch of dales and then the yeah yeah dales chicks and the, yeah yeah it's definitely um the the exhibitors man they just they thrive off of that rich red meat there's just something oh, about man. it yeah the, i mean both the goss and the coop i imprinted last year did awesome on those starlings mm-hmm. that starling meat is is uh a second to none in my opinion 
Yeah. Um, I really wish someone farmed them so that I didn't have to spend so much time and energy acquiring them. You know, what's funny is there's, uh, I know there for a fact, there's been a couple people that have tried and they just, they can't get them to breed in captivity. I hear that about some, even, you know, you know, not to digress too much, but mm. minor birds, which are popular pets in the eighties, mm-hmm. uh, they're a starling. They're extremely difficult to breed in captivity. So when they cut off importation, now they're $1,500 birds when they used to be parakeet prices. Right. Right. Something about them. They, they can, starlings can survive anywhere in the world except in a cage. Yeah. And they, just, they refuse to do it. It's like they instantly know, and they just it stresses them too much. I guess, yeah. But, they're cool little pets, though. If you, yeah. if you ever find a baby starling and it's legal in your state, they, they're fun little birds. Good talkers. <laughs> well, yeah. So I mean, um, so basically, we, we you, you finished you finished your thought about about the whole telemetry thing. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else that that you're that you're going to be? So what, what's the the plan? Mainly is is, is cottontails and uh, and ducks and stuff with this with this new bird, right? Primarily, yeah. yeah. And uh, I have got a trip planned to go out west. I'm going to try them on quail. Yeah. Uh, we've got some quail here, but you know, not in the numbers needed to make a quail hawk. Right. Um, and not that they're my primary source, but I'd like to get more feather in this year than I did last year. You know, yeah. last year it was just uh, a couple of ducks and few attempts on crows yeah and that was about it well and he's he's actually a pretty a pretty big male he's he's decent size he's got yeah. good feet um yeah. right now he's at 25 ounces i bet he's gonna fly right about 24 ounces yeah um but you know how like mark was talking in his podcast preconceived notions uh, yeah, you gotta, right. gotta let that bird's uh-huh. behavior dictate it not what i think he should fly at well and and uh you know lord knows we've seen enough um we've seen we've seen um quite a few falconers that have flown birds that could have been borderline large males or small females and, yes. and whatever so, uh, so it was it's uh it's it's hard to tell sometimes without officially getting them sexed you and, know, and so. i may do that at some point but it, you know I'm, I'm not a breeder so it's not overly important to me right well um, as long as the thing can catch game who cares yeah you know, yeah whatever. and big males is just more impressive to say than it's a really small female yeah so i'll go right with male. so what's the website again for the uh the kentucky falconers association it's uh kentuckyfalconry.com okay um, and you should be able to find all of our events on there uh we'll have one early season uh, and i believe we'll have that somewhere in central eastern kentucky and then um the next one will be more western kentucky for those who are further out and don't want to drive quite as far okay and uh it's on facebook also correct yes yeah Yeah. and facebook's generally updated first okay what about instagram is it does it have an instagram page we don't have an instagram page yet uh something we're looking into but not quite there yet gotcha it's awesome to uh always hang out and talk and everything glad we could hook up today and and uh yeah it's a lot of fun yeah so well we'll do another episode again probably in the future whenever we both uh, you know just maybe rehash our seasons and everything so yeah hopefully it's good ones for everybody (laughs) all right man thanks thank you yep As always, thank you again so much to the Falconry Fund for making the podcast possible. If you have any donations that you want to make, just please go to falconryfund.org. Any donations are always greatly appreciated because they go a long way towards future endeavors and for making future content for you all. Please subscribe, if you haven't already, to our social media outlets, Facebook, Instagram, etc. And if you ever need to contact us or have any questions, comments recommendations for guests just reach us at www.falconryfund.org contact or you can always reach us by email at falconryfund at gmail.com and just mention podcast in the subject line once again i am john munyer thank you so much for tuning in again this week and everyone be safe until next time take care thank you so much